Hello, family of God. Grab your seats if you would. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you're here. Um, Talked to Pastor Brady yesterday, and he told me to tell you how much he loves you and misses you. He's on a summer break and be back August 21st. So Brady, Pam, get some good rest. But he wanted you to know how much he loves you and misses you, and he'll see you soon. The second thing, as we get started today, a few weeks ago, I spoke on developing a theology of play in this summertime season where we get to have different rhythms and kind of go at a different pace, encouraging you to become like the little children who know how to play. And then the, the week after, I talked about developing a theology of church, being the people of God together. And then the week after that, finding a way to hit the reset button in a world that has kind of lost its mind. And today I want to talk about developing a theology of friendship. Everyone say friendship. Okay, developing a theology of friendship. And I'm going to open to the second page of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. And what I'll do is I'll read a text, uh, Genesis 2, 18 to 24. For many of you, it'll be familiar. And I'll read it and I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from the second page of the Bible, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone and I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man Adam called each living creature that was its name. He goes on to say, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to speak to us all over again. We've heard from so many people this week. We've seen the headlines and we've been in board meetings and we've, we've gotten emails from the kids' schools and there's so much information coming at us and so much happening. But right here, right now, we pray that every other voice be silenced. We need to hear from you. And so we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We're, we're ready to hear from you. We pray you'd make us holy. We pray you'd make us faithful. We pray that you'd make us strong for the task you've called us to. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. I heard about two guys, one of them called Jack, one of them called Ronald, and they became friends. They were thick as thieves. They spent 38 years together being best friends, and they made a commitment early on in their friendship that we're going to be together at least once a week, and they met up. They were writers. They met up at the college wild imaginations, crazy writers, brilliant minds, but a little quirky 
And so they met up at the school once a week. And then usually they would also meet up at the pub once a week and they'd have a pint. You know, some of you are stumbling. You're, you're, you're frustrated about that. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you the reality. They would meet up at the pub and they would have a pint. So they'd meet at the school and they'd talk and they'd read each other their stuff and they'd critique each other's work. And hey, what if you change the plot line in this way? Or what if you develop the, the character in that way? And these guys spent so many years together, 38 years being friends. And you may have heard of these guys. One of them, uh, Jack, is Clive Staples Lewis, and Ronald is John Ronald Ruel Tolkien. I don't know if you know these guys. They're sort of a big deal. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Great Divorce, Screwtape Letters, Mere Christianity, Surprised by Joy. I could keep going on. But there's something about deep friendship. And I'll say today at the top of my talk, developing a theology of friendship, that I think one of the greatest gifts that we, the church, can give to the world is a robust theology of friendship. One of the great gifts we can give to the world is teaching the world about friendship and showing the world what friendship looks like. Have you ever taken time to consider the first problem in the Bible? You read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 right up before where we picked up our text today and it's just good, 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 good. It's good, 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 good. I'm a drummer and there's sort of this metronomic symmetry in this text. Good, 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 good. And you read it and it's just flowing and it's beautiful and light is bursting everywhere and life is erupting on planet Earth and, and God saw that it was good and then it was bad. Genesis 2.18, it is not good. The Lord God speaks. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, very often what we do here is we race to make this a text about marriage, and we could talk about that. Another Sunday we will, and we have. But today I want to kind of zoom out and, and think just a little bit more deeply about this. Loneliness was the first problem that the scriptures record. We think of Adam and Eve primarily as husband and wife, and we race to build this into a marriage talk. But let's not forget first that Adam and Eve were first friends before they were uh, mates. They weren't primarily breeding partners. <laughs> they were friends. God saw that Adam was by himself. Think about it. He had meaningful projects. He had a gorgeous garden place all to himself. He had plenty of provision, but he didn't have any people. He didn't have any friends, no one with whom to commune. The first problem that God identified was solitariness, not sexual unfulfillment. God brought Adam a friend in Eve. And they'd go on walks in the garden in the cool of the day and they'd talk about the sunset and the sunrise and working the garden together and producing their food and, and going to bed tired and, and, but thankful that they were able to work in God's garden and they saw that it was good with God. This text is not just about marriage. In fact, I'll just take it a, a layer deeper here because very often we read Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. And then we hear about man and wife and the two become one flesh. And people who are single often hear this text with some sense of shame and it ought not be this way. Because if you think about it, the New Testament is this wild document. One of the most radical claims of early Christianity is you don't have to be married to live a deeply meaningful life. Can we, can we just realize that the, the, the hero of the story was single? <laughs> 
Jesus Christ of Nazareth lived a deeply meaningful life and he didn't have to be married to do so. Peter and Paul and John the Baptist and Mary and Martha and there's so many different people who were single and crushing it. So single people, go for it. God, God has strength for you and you don't have to wait to be married to live a deeply meaningful life. Can we just take a minute and say amen today, church? It is not good for human beings to be alone. The first problem that God identifies is the problem of loneliness. Think about Jesus when he comes on the scene. His ministry was a ministry of refriending the world. I'll just make up a little word here, refriending the world. What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't go, I mean, this is the son of God who can do anything. All power is in his hands. He can speak and change the situation. He was there at creation. He, Jesus is not limited. So why doesn't Jesus just race around Galilee and that whole Palestine region and into Jerusalem and just do, just go as a lone ranger, making it happen. He could have gone a lot quicker. What does he do? Hey, Peter, John, Andrew, Philip, Mary, Martha, come and follow me. Jesus collects this group. He's got the 12 disciples and he's got this burgeoning small congregation of people around him and he's refriending the world. Think about Jesus when the group gets a little bit larger, it expands and, and it says in Luke 10, one, that Jesus sent out 72 others. The Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them out two by two. Nobody goes alone in the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is not sending out lone rangers to go be heroes and to build their own stories and to build their own brands. Jesus is sending out groups of people together. And the rule with Jesus is nobody goes alone. And think about Jesus growing up in a complex family system with un uncles and aunties and cousins and, and, and people who are difficult. You know, he went to family reunions just like us. And there was that crazy uncle Larry, right? Everyone had a crazy Uncle Larry. And Jesus had that too. Jesus is, is not some sort of isolated figure floating through the ether, sprinkling salvation as fairy dust from the balconies of heaven. Jesus is embedded in the life of human relationships. And his ministry is a ministry going about refriending the world. Jesus did not simply come to save us for a future in heaven, he came to rebuke the curse of loneliness and to save us into a community of friends that are on the way to a glorious future. Can you say amen, church? So what I wanna to do today is if we know that the gift of friendship is God's way of rebuking loneliness and it's our inheritance, I wanna ask what are the threats to friendship? If it is not good for people to be alone, and if God comes to rebuke the curse of loneliness, you've got to know that the enemy is going to try to steal, kill, and destroy our friendships because it is God's great gift to us. So what are the threats to friendship? I'm gonna put three simple things in front of you that I think in our first world Western moment are threats to friendship. I'll, I'll, I'll clip through these pretty quickly, but the first threat to friendship is our blatant individualism. We are now more than ever able to be in our own homes, behind our own screens, in our own cars, pulling into our own garages, living with our head down, working hard. We, 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 we live in this American story 
that is a mythology of individualism. And we came out and we settled the rugged terrain and, and we came out to the West and we found in the high desert, we could find water and find life and put that in your pipe and smoke it. We are Americans, right? Like we live in this myth of individualism, this like we, we, we pull away and we keep our head down. And if we live this way, we will miss out on the gift of friendship. Second thing, second threat to friendship is our dizzying busyness. I, I wrote it that way because the words just make you dizzy. Dizzying busyness. And this is our calendars, right? And we go here and we go there and we bounce around. And I look at my calendar at the end of the week and I don't even smoke, but sometimes I need a cigarette, you know? And I'm joking, I'm joking. Some of you are really mad that I said that. I don't smoke, I don't smoke. But I'm, it's, you know, sometimes it's just like you run around like crazy and we got kids at soccer and kids at basketball and kids at dance and kids playing piano. And we got all these appointments and you gotta go to the hospital and you gotta, the dizzying, Busyness, if we're not careful, will keep us from the great gift of God's friendship. I heard someone say recently that adult friendship is two people saying, I haven't seen you in forever. We should really hang out more over and over again until one of you dies. <laughs> Can I get an amen, church? Like the Christmas party, you're like, man, you go to the car. I love these people. These are amazing people. We should hang out. You see them next Christmas at the Christmas party. Like the dizzying busyness, our blatant individualism and the dizzying busyness. And God is saying it is not good for people to be alone. And do you know you can be around a lot of people and be completely lonely? Just because you're in the, in the, in the setting where there's a lot of human beings doesn't mean your deepest need for intimacy and connection and friendship and wholeness is being met. And God is saying it doesn't have to be this way. Our individualism, our busyness, but the third threat to our friendships is our pathological avoidance of conflict. My grandparents' generation and my parents' generation, when they were doing it right, when they had friends, but there was something wrong, there was a rub, there was a beef, there was an issue, there was a frustration, they'd meet each other at the Greasy Spoon Diner and sit down over a cup of bad black coffee and they'd look each other in the eyes and they'd go, hey, quit that. When you do that, this is how it feels to me. Hey, that's not how we do business. When I shake your hand and say that it's a done deal, it's a done deal and my word is my bond and when you kind of move on me like that, it makes me feel like the deal's in jeopardy. That's not, let, we don't need a contract, look me in the eyes. My word is my bond, is your word your bond? And they'd sort out their stuff and they'd say, hey, please stop, because I want to travel with you until I die. I want to cross the finish line being your friend. And the way you're doing that right now is jeopardizing that. Would you please quit that? And what they end up doing is they stand up after breakfast and one of them buys and they hug it out and they move on. And Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 18, if your brother or your sister sins against you, don't ghost them. Don't cancel them. Don't get online and burn it down. Keyboard courageous. 
but ignoring the issue and certainly don't lose the gift. He says, press in, go look them in the eye and say, hey, stop that. And Jesus said, if it doesn't work the first time, take someone from the church with you because they can help mediate. And if it doesn't work that whole time, bring it to all of the church because friendship is that important. You cannot travel this earth alone. Nobody goes alone, says Jesus. And when we hit conflict in the first world West, very often we cancel and we ghost and we disappear and we bolt and we find a new gym and we find a new church and we walk down different hallways in the, in the office. If we can't fully avoid them, we find ways to avoid them. And Jesus says, it doesn't have to be this way. Our pathological avoidance of conflict will not help us travel with friends over the long haul. These three things, the individualism and the busyness and the avoidance of conflict are the threats to friendship. So now I wanna ask, how do we develop and secure decades long friendships? How do we travel the long road of life, carrying these people with us and, and crossing the finish line together? The first thing, and I'll be as simple as I can, is commit to covenant community. Come to church. Plant your roots. Try to die where you are with the people that you're with and be faithful and, and just stick it out. And when you get frustrated, press in and go to that breakfast and look each other in the eye and be quick to forgive and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Brothers and sisters, commit to covenant community. This is why we here at New Life Church, we are an unapologetically large church. Somehow, some way, people just keep showing up. Our marketing budget is zero. We are terrible with marketing. Like, we're not out trying to make people come to church. Here you are. Every week you show up to church. We are unapologetically a big church, but we want to be the smallest big church in all of the world. This is why we have section communities where once a month each section is having a potluck meal after the service. This is why we have mops groups and men's fire teams. This is why we have retreats in the mountains. This is why we have dinner groups and homes. This is why we pray for one another after the services. We want to develop a covenant community here together and just keep showing up year after year, decade after decade. And if you look up and live that way, you'll find yourself with deep friendships. The second thing that I think will help us preserve these decades long friendships is developing holy rhythms. Look at your calendar and say, who do I wanna be? And how do I wanna live? And if my ache is for friendship, and if it is not good that people should be alone, then how do we calendar differently? How do we build a meaningful life where we can actually receive the gift of friendship? I called my friend uh, last week, Guile, and in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and I said, Guile, I've known him since I was 12, so 27 years. And he was, uh, he was 22 when we met. So Guile's a decade in front of me, and I said, Guile, I miss you, man. I need to see you. When are you gonna come out? And he said, I'll talk to my wife. He texted me that night. He said, I'm coming on Sunday. And he's preaching right now in Tulsa, Oklahoma, just finished up his sermon, just got in the car. He's driving 10 hours. He'll pull to my house at 10 p.m. tonight. And we're gonna spend the next four days laughing and enjoying meals and going on hikes and praying for one another. And we'll probably cry just a little bit and we'll laugh a lot more. And friends, there is something about the gift of friendship, but it doesn't happen on accident. So you have to develop holy rhythms. Maybe you wanna be like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and have that 38 year friendship and you go, hey, meet me at the diner on Tuesday morning and just develop these holy rhythms. The third thing, if you wanna travel in decades long friendships, 
The third thing is you have to practice gracious truth-telling. Gracious truth-telling, not vicious truth-telling. You, don't, I, you shouldn't get excited about it. Oh, I'm going for the jugular baby on this one. He asked me and I'm gonna let him know. Gracious truth-telling. Solomon, the great king of Israel and the wise man, late in the book of Proverbs 27, verse six, he says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Look at the juxtaposition. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy, oh yeah, oh, it's great. Blessed and highly favored. Love you, man. Be warmed, be filled. Hope you're great. And they walk away and they roll their eyes and they don't think another thing about you. But a friend says, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, you want to travel for the decades? You need to stop that right now in Jesus' name. And I love you and I'll lay down my life for you and I'll help you in any way and I'll show up at the hospital when you're sick, but you need to quit that. And if we're gonna have a long time friendship, we need to learn how to forgive each other and we need to learn how to pray for each other. And when your pantry's empty, I'll buy groceries. And when my pantry's empty, you buy groceries. And when people act as friends, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Pastor Brady, several years ago, went to a church and he was there for the weekend and he had a staff meeting with their team and then he preached at their weekend services and then he went to lunch with the pastor and the pastor's wife and then they drove him to the airport and they got to the airport curb and put the car in park and this is typically where they would say, thanks so much for a great weekend. You did such a great job. We love you. Fly safe. It's not what the pastor said that was dropping off Pastor Brady. He put it in park and he turned to Brady. He said, Brady, here's what's gonna happen in the next 30 minutes. You're gonna go through security and then you're gonna get to your gate and then you're gonna sit down, you're gonna take a deep breath, you're gonna exhale and then you're gonna pick up your phone and you're gonna call Pam and you're going to tell Pam one or two things about our church that we don't know about ourselves. And if we don't know those things, we can't get better. He said, you're gonna say, yeah, it was great, it was great, but you know, there's this one thing that I wish they would tweak that, but they didn't ask me. And if they would tweak that, they would get better. And the guy said to Pastor Brady, tell me the 10% that you haven't told me that you're about to tell Pam. <laughs> Genius. And Brady said, really? <laughs> and the guy said, yeah. And Brady said, you realize this takes high trust. I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna come at you. I'm not gonna be vicious. I'm not, but really? He said, really? Tell me the 10% you're gonna tell Pam that you weren't gonna tell me. And Brady said, I got one thing. And he told the man and his wife and their church got better. And they grew. And they said, thank you so much, Brady, for trusting us with that vulnerable information. And thank you, and we'll put that to work. And we've been in contact with them. They're thriving, got it? But friends, we could just go, hey, have a great life, peace. And, and get on the plane, and we don't have the information that could help us grow. And we don't know how we could become better friends. And we don't know how we could live more faithfully over the long haul. But if we will ask, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, The Four Loves, he's talking about friendship and he, in, in typical C.S. Lewis provocative, he just kind of comes out the gate and he says, friendship is unnecessary. Like philosophy is unnecessary. Like art is unnecessary. Like the universe itself is unnecessary. 
Friendship has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. We want to be the people of God that travel over the long haul and that work to fight to preserve peace and to show up at the end with our people that we've traveled with. And if we're going to do that, we have to tell the truth. Uh, Two stories I want to tell you before we receive communion and close. First story, Magic Johnson. Irvin Magic Johnson, 12-time NBA All-Star, grew up in Lansing, Michigan, was recruited by every college in the nation, monster, you know, six foot nine point guard. This is a new breed in this time. Before we had LeBron James, we had Irvin Magic Johnson and everyone wanted him and he went against the grain and he stayed home in Lansing, Michigan and went to Michigan State University. Goes on to win the, uh, the, the, College National Championship against Larry Bird from French Lick, Indiana. The Indiana Hoosiers beat them. Iconic moment in 79. And then goes to the NBA. Isaiah Thomas, Chicago. Absolute world-class athlete, baller, point guard. Goes to Indiana with Bobby Knight, wins a championship there. And Irvin and Isaiah were high school friends. They would go to the AAU tournaments and their teams would win and they would meet each other in the championships and one of them inevitably would win. And ah, but they were best friends, fierce competitors, best friends from, from their teenage years. And then they end up going to college and they each win their championships, Indiana and Michigan State. And then they go to the NBA and 12-time All-Star for Irvin Magic and 12-time All-Star for Isaiah Thomas. And in 1989 and 1990, Isaiah won back-to-back championships with the bad boys from Detroit, right? The Pistons. Some of you, talk to me if you know what I'm talking about, okay? Okay? Magic had already cleaned up and taken home all the trophies with the Lakers. And they're just having a great run. And in 1992, anyone remember the dream team, right? Michael Jordan and, and, and David Robinson and Larry Bird and all these guys. Christian Leitner, what are we doing? Christian Leitner got on that team. How did, anyway, they go to Spain, dominate the world and win the gold. And it's iconic. Except Isaiah's not on the team, which makes no sense because he's the point guard for the best team in 1989 and 1990. And Chuck Daly, who is the coach of the Pistons, Isaiah's head coach, is the coach of the dream team in 1992. And Isaiah is not on the dream team. And everybody knew it. And it was the elephant in every room. And the word was that Michael Jordan had said, if Isaiah's on the team, I'm not. So who are you gonna go with? So Chuck Daly says, okay, Michael's on the team and here's our roster. And Isaiah, his own point guard is not on the roster. And it shattered Isaiah's heart because he knew that Magic Johnson, his best friend from high school years was on that team and he didn't say anything. From 1991, when the team was selected until a few years ago, nothing. They hadn't spoken cold shoulders. They were in the same rooms. They were in the hall of fame induction speeches. They were in the top 50. They were, I mean, they were in the same rooms, but they walked with their backs to each other, cold shoulder. Have you ever been in a room with someone that you had to pretend wasn't there? This was Isaiah and this was magic for 25 plus years. And just a couple years ago, magic's parents who were about to pass and magic's wife, they looked at magic and they said, this is embarrassing. This is an absolute shame. You've known him since you were 15 years old and you haven't spoken in 25 plus years. Get over it and fix this thing. Get it right. This is an embarrassment and you must get this right. 
And so Magic and Isaiah got together and I want you to see two minutes of their first reunion in over 25 years. Watch this video. I would say to you, this has been a tremendous day, right? My wife, my mother, my father, and they're saying, y'all need to get back together. Yeah. So when everybody called, I said, no question, we're gonna do this. And just to sit across from you and have those relive those moments of fun, excellence, working hard, dreaming big, because we were dreaming of moments before we were even, who, who, who sit up at 19, 20, 21, dreaming of stuff we wanted to do, and now here we are doing it, you know? But you are my brother, let me apologize to you. If I hurt you, that we haven't been together, and God is good to bring us back together. All right? I know, man. It hurt me, too. <laughs> Come here, man. The older we get, I, I wrote this down this week after watching that, the older we get, the more we should realize what really matters in life. It's not money. Magic's a billionaire, Isaiah's loaded. It's not money, it's not the accumulation of possessions, it's holding, it's not holding your ground and winning an argument. In the end, what will matter to us the most is crossing the finish line with the people that we love. Second story to close. About six years ago, a guy walked in our church by himself, sat in one of these sections, and at the end of the service, people started saying, hey, hey, you're new around here. We've got this section party. Would you come? We've got food. Don't worry. You didn't bring it. It doesn't matter. Come. We'll feed you. We want to get to know your story. So this guy, Wade, let me show you his picture. Wade goes to the section party, and at the section party meets a guy called Paul Gustafson. And Paul Gustafson is just this great man of God and, and he's super hospitable. And he said, Wade, we are thrilled to have you at this church. And Wade said, you know, I'm really lonely right now. I don't have family and 26, I think 26 year military career. I'm retired and got all this time and I'm really lonely. And Paul said, come to Pike's Perk on Academy on Tuesday morning at seven. And Wade said, really? Okay. So he came to Pike's Perk Tuesday morning at seven and there's this group there, Terry, who's right here. Terry Weatherford was in that group and, and is in that group. And all these guys, every Tuesday, they're called the skill team, the fire team. 
And the skill group are all these guys who've got skills. They can fix anything. They've got all the tools. They've got the nice trucks. And they, the, God has put on, uh, on their heart a burden for widows and single moms in our church and in our city who need their houses tightened up and they don't have anyone defending them and fighting for them. And so the women in advance have this punch list of all the projects that they need done. And the skill team comes with all the tools and with all, you know, new light fixture and a new fan and all this. So the guys show up on Tuesday, they go to Pikes Perk, have coffee, read the scriptures, laugh and pray. And then they go to do their project. So Wade comes with them to the skill group on Tuesday morning and just falls fast friends with these guys. And every Tuesday for the last six years, they've been showing up, they've been talking, they've been praying and hit the curse of loneliness that Wade had been living in was rebuked. He had his people. God sets the lonely in families. Psalm 68, verse five. This is what God does. And in the church, God created this family, not by biological bloodline, but just people who'd been washed in the blood of Jesus, taking each other in. And so Wade became a part of this family. And every Tuesday for the last six years, they've been gathering and then they go out and serve people. And then they come to church on Sundays and they do it all over again. Well, this last two Tuesdays ago, Wade came to the Pikes Perk. And he looked sick. And everyone in the group, they saw it. Like, wait, are you okay? Wait, what's going on? And he said, I woke up so, feeling so terribly, but I, I wasn't going to miss the group today. And one of the guys in the group is a medical professional. He started checking his vitals and ended up calling 911. They got an ambulance right out. Wade was in a bad way and they took him to the hospital here in Colorado Springs and the guys, one jumped in the ambulance and then the other guys went in their trucks to the hospital and followed him and got him to the hospital here. And they said, actually, we need to transfer him to Denver. We were not equipped for this. And so they sent him up to Denver and the guys went up to Denver. And they're standing around his bedside and they're holding his hand and they're praying and they're telling old stories and they're reading the scriptures and it, becomes really clear within a matter of hours that Wade is about to enter his rest. And Wade passed. But you know what? He didn't die alone. I'm so glad that he didn't die alone. For it is not good that man should be alone. What God is here to do is to make us a family. Where my money is not my money. Where my skills are not just my skills. Where my weaknesses are not just my weaknesses. Where all of us put all our chips on the table and we said, Jesus has purchased us with his own blood. He laid down his life for us. Jesus refriended the world and I'm a part of that. And now my ministry is to be a part of refriending the world with Jesus. And this is what this fire team did, this skill group. They refriended Wade, and I wanna show you a picture from his funeral this week. All the men that were there at the military graveside. Wade's cousin, the lady right there, Karen, I, I wrote down their names, the guys in this picture. We got Ron Coleman and Jim Boardman and Ron Dittis and John Mueller and Terry Weatherford right here in the third row and Paul Gustafson and Tim Larson, and Bill Martin and Bruce Tithe and God used them to refamily the world. And church, as I've been praying about it this week, I've sensed two burdens. Some of you need to be friends with God first.
Maybe you've been around it. Maybe you're new to the story. But if you've been around it and you've grown cold, today's the day to be refriended with God. Jesus in John 15, he said, I no longer call you servants. I'm not just asking you to do stuff for me because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you friends. Jesus is here today and he wants you to be his friend. If that's you, say yes to God. Second group, some of you, you you're like Wade was six years ago. And the last two and a half years have not made it any better. The isolation has deepened and the fissures have cracked and there's, there's just loneliness and sadness and depression and despair. And some of you just feel like you're on the brink and I'm here to say to you, and, and I'm saying it by faith and some of you will have to believe it by faith, but there is a family of God for you. We don't have to live as these lonely people traveling through this world that Jesus has befriended, if you'll commit to the community and if you'll lay your life down and, and show yourself friendly, I'm trusting that right here in New Life Church, we will be the friendliest, smallest, big church in all of the world. Church, can we say yes to that today? Let's be the people of God together. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and open your hearts to the Lord? First, friendship with God. He longs for you. He desires you. His arms are wide open. He wants to bring you in close. Today, if you need to say yes to Jesus afresh, do that. Call on his name. I'm gonna let you right now just begin to do business with Jesus. Jesus, I long for you. Jesus, I need you. Use your own words and open your own heart. Jesus, I wanna be friends, you've made it available and I say yes today, save me, deliver me, draw me in close, refamily me today. Lord, do that for all of us in this place. And for those who are lonely, Lord, I pray that in the next year, that the loneliness would be rebuked and that it would be driven out and that a year from today, August 7, 2023, all of us in this place could look up and see the gift of friendship at work in our lives. Lord, make us the family of God together and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me, church? We're gonna sing this song, your goodness is running after me. So let's worship the Lord and here in just a minute, I'll come back and we'll receive communion.
Church, could you get your communion elements ready to receive? If you don't have any, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will come through the aisles here. Rustin, we got one coming for you. Mark, right here in the center aisle, Rustin Carlson. Love you, man. Anyone else? Do I see a hand over here? Thank you, Mark. What are we doing in this moment of communion? Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, feeds his people. One of them has 30 pieces of silver clanking around in his pocket. He has already sold Jesus off to the ruling authorities. One of them in hours is going to deny Jesus three times. I don't even know the man. What are you talking about? And Jesus knows this and doesn't seem to be perturbed. Jesus says, I'm here to refriend and to refamily the world. And so as we come to this moment at the table of the Lord, Jesus is here to make us a family afresh. He's here to release the ministry of hospitality to us and to then to send us out to live this ministry of hospitality for the world. Jesus, we need you. We need you to feed us today. We need you to make us a family today. We need you to make us ready to receive brothers and sisters like Wade was received six years ago. Make us that church, make us that people. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer in your hands? And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. You may receive the bread today. On the same night, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. Jesus forgives us and now he calls us to the ministry of forgiveness. So when someone goes sideways on you, <laughs> don't run, press in with forgiveness, press in and have the conversation. Jesus can make us this kind of people all over again. Church, you may receive forgiveness today. Come on, sing it. Your goodness is running out. Come on, church. He's running out to me. Hey. Your goodness is running out to me. He's running out to me. Your goodness is running out. Your goodness is running out to me. He's running out. today to receive the blessing as you go. I want to speak this ancient benediction. God, through Moses, told Aaron the priest that when the people gather and they're about to go home, pray this over them, and it's out of Numbers 6, 
24 to 26, and I say now today for you, may the Lord our God bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people and may he grant you peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? Two things, real quick. I wanna invite our prayer team to come down. If you have any prayer needs, we are here for you, so come on up. And if you're new, come see us at Connect Central in the lobby. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.